0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Why do we lift up our hands? Well, I was taught years ago that I lifted up my hands because it was a sign of surrender. Well, in our day and age, yeah, I guess that's true, but was that the reason that they lifted up their hands in the Old Testament. In most of the cases in the Old Testament, and someone referred this to me, when the arms were lifted up and they were facing out, it was a form of blessing. And they blessed the Lord. So I began to think about what do I bring to the table tonight? What is it that I can give back to God that, that would be pleasing to him. The Bible says lift up holy hands. Maybe it's I bless him as he has blessed me. I send my blessings back to him. I send out my praise to him. I can't give him glory because I don't have glory. He's the one that's glorious, but I can bless him And I can send up my praise to him. So that's how we start. That's our first step in our journey tonight. And I'll tell you what, friend. I've had nights where I felt a lot more comfortable about what I was going to say than tonight. And uh, I'm going to try to stay on a, a, a somewhat narrow path. But I'm also going to be open to the direction that God's going to lead me now, I say that because this week in my Bible reading, and I'm all different than you guys. I, I started in the middle of a year, or so I'm still in the book of, of 1 Samuel. You know, so some of you are on the other side of, of Mark already and Luke. But every time I get to this place in my Bible reading, I have the same question come up. I've been reading about David. And I have these questions arise, and maybe it's something in my own spirit that isn't, isn't clicking, isn't gelling with, with God's ideas. But I always come back to the same question. But before I address that question, let me read a verse. I'm reading from a verse that we read every Christmas, and uh, it's Isaiah 9 and 6. Isaiah writes these words, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's glorious, isn't he? Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And then it says these words, Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now when we get into our Bible study we in, with the kings, the first three kings, uh, Saul, David, and Solomon, all reigned 40 years. They all had the same period of time. Saul didn't do a very good job. He was a little bit like, like David and Solomon. Now, you may disagree with me. But Saul was chosen because he was humble. He was a man of integrity, but perfect power corrupted him. When he got into the office of king, he started to change. And it was the same way with David. When David came to be king, he was humble and obedient and he, he was very conscious of integrity. Matter of fact, when Saul went to relieve himself in the cave one day as he was trying to take David's life, his men said, David, this is the perfect opportunity to destroy the one who seeks your life. And David boldly says, yes, it would be so easy for me to end all my problems, but I will not touch God's anointed. So he was a man of integrity, and he sought to please God. But when I look at his life, there were some things that he was not good at. He was a terrible father. He His people skills and the guilt that he carried for some of his mistakes, it inhibited him in making wise decisions. So I say all that tonight because the Bible is the one book That does not take sides. It speaks the truth without fear nor favor. It shows the good. It shows the bad. It shows the ugly. It shows you the degenerative nature that we all have. That's why we're all sinners. Because every one of us just have the nature to do it. It just comes so natural. But I want to learn from other people's mistakes. And there's one person that I really seem to line up with in the story of David, and that's, and I probably shared this with you before, is, is a man named Joab. Joab is extremely faithful and loyal to family. He is. Now, did you know that Joab was David's nephew? Joab was the son of Zariah, his sister. So when we're reading about Josiah, or um, Joab, we're reading about a man that's related. It was his uncle, Uncle David. Now, Joab had two other Brothers. One was Abashai, and that's significant because Abashai is killed by Abner later. Now, if you if you remember the story, Abashai, A-B-I-S-H-A-I, I hope I'm saying it right, was as loyal as Joab was to David. And when he came after Abner, who fought against David he would not stop coming against the enemy of the king. And Abner finally stuck his spear through Joab's brother and killed him. Now, Joab is extremely loyal to family. And that left a mark on him. David, uh, in the beginning, honored The loyalty of Joab. Matter of fact, to show you a little bit more about the nature of of Joab, you ever hear of a city called Jerusalem? What is it called besides the city of Jerusalem? The city of... Do you know who gave that city to David? Joab. Because the Jebusites at one time inhabited the city of Jerusalem... And Joab, as a commander, was fighting against the Jebusites, which owned or dwelled in the city of Jerusalem. And just as the battle or the victory was about to come to conclusion, Joab stopped. And he called for David, who was not there, and he said, Please join us, because I want you to be the one that gets the glory for this victory, lest it be say that it was Joab. Um, Joab's victory. So David was, led the battle at that point. Jerusalem was conquered and it became the city of David. He, I look at his integrity but he wasn't perfect either. He was an excellent military leader. Some say that they cannot recall one battle that Joab lost. Every battle that They fought, that Joab led, they won. He was faithful and loyal, but occasionally you could say he made a poor decision, but all of us do. No matter how great our talent, no matter how great our ability, in some time or place, we're going to make a decision that we're going to be sorry for. And sometimes those, deci- those decisions are based on the loyalties that we have with people. I look at, and I'm, I'm probably not going to follow my notes because I just, I just don't feel like I, I want to be confined to the notes tonight. I want to be able to be led through this a little bit. I know the material How many times did David make a terrible mistake that Joab had to fix? Remember Tamar? Do you remember a man named Ammon? They were brother and sister. They were David's children. Tamar was David's daughter. Ammon was David's son. They had different mothers. David had quite a few wives and concubines. I've lost track. I thought there was only three or four, but I began to realize there were 10 alone when Absalom came that he left 10 of them behind. Can you imagine trying to get ready in the morning? I'm <laughs> just teasing. That was a light thing, but it would be crazy. with That many, only one bathroom? But here's what happened, and I, I'm going to try to get through the story rather quickly. Ammon said he loved Tamar. No, Ammon didn't love Tamar. He lusted Tamar. And so he couldn't eat, he couldn't drink. All he could think about was these thoughts of his sister. And then one one day one of his friends said, hey, listen, why don't you pretend to be sick, deceive your father, have him to send your sister in to cook you something to eat. He says, oh, that's a great idea. So Ammon pretended to be sick, and David, being somewhat of a good father at that time, I guess, came to see why Ammon wasn't eating, why he wasn't at the king's table. And he says, well, I'm sick. And uh, he said, would you do me a favor, uh, king? Could you allow my sister Tamar to come into my house, prepare me something to eat? And David, gullible, not really seeing what's taking place, gives permission to Tamar to come into the house of Ammon. Ammon sends his servant out, all the servants that are in his place out, and Tamar's left alone with him, and of course he forces her. But the Bible says that he, as much as he lusted her, loved her, he hated her just as much afterwards. And she cried out when the act took place. Now this is important. Because according to the law, if a woman was raped and she did not cry out, she was guilty as well. But if the woman cried out during the rape, the man was to be executed. So technically, Ammon should have been killed. Because the scripture says that Tamar cried out and she begged him to... To at least petition the king to make her his wife so she could retain her respect. Now, I said all that to say this Guess who Tamar's brother is? Absalom. I have not heard one bad thing about Absalom till this point in Scripture. Absalom, matter of fact, seems to be somewhat wise because. When he found out about Tamar and what Ammon had done to her, he didn't do anything. He waited for David to do what he should have done. David should have dealt with the situation. And for two years, he did nothing. Nothing happened. It was all brushed under the carpet. Not good leadership. Not good leadership at all. So, Absalom decides that he is going to do what needs to be done by himself without his father. And he actually arranges for a a dinner for all the king's sons. He tells his servants to slay Ammon at the dinner after they had drunk. And that would be the end of it. But the story doesn't end there. Because after Ammon Ammon is killed by Absalom's counsel and by his servants... Absalom flees from from the kingdom of Israel or from Jerusalem. And he goes into exile. Now David, he's somewhat clueless because he, he grieves for his son. And for several years, his son is gone. And so what happens is Joab sees what his uncle's going through. And he, through a divisive way of hiring a lady to go in and spread the story to David to get his righteous anger indulged about her own children, she used a story that related indirectly to uh, an incident that was happening in her life, just like Nathan had done about the sheep, the one little sheep that... uh, was taken and fed to another person's guests because he didn't want to take his own sheep. Well, Joab does the same thing here. And the woman says, when David gets all upset, like, oh, I'm going to kill that person. We're going to make him pay for that. And the woman says, well, David, you're the man. And you know what he says to the woman? Joab put you up to this, didn't he? David knew Joab and he knew his integrity. And so, here we go. Joab makes provision to bring Absalom back to Jerusalem. See, he loves his son, but he doesn't know how to talk to people, he has no people skills. Why didn't you go and talk with him? Because what's happening is you're making a monster. By not dealing with the problem, by not facing what's going on, ignoring the problem, you're making the problem bigger, and eventually that problem will come and destroy you. And it never had to be that way. But David is blinded. Now here's the scoop. Absalom comes back. Guess how many years he's in Jerusalem And his father hasn't picked up the phone to call him one time. Two years. And Absalom is saying, what is the matter with my dad? So you know what he does? He's going to cause a problem. You know what? Your children, unless you do what you should do as a parent, will get your attention one way or another. So whose field does Joab start on fire? Wheat field. Joab's. Because he knows that Joab has the ear of David. So he started his field on fire, and Joab says to him, Absalom, what are you doing? You brought me back from exile. Why didn't you just leave me out in exile? My father won't do what's right. So Joab, the reconciliation takes part part. But by this time, Absalom has been changed to a different person. He's bitter inside. He's angry. He's developed all these emotions against David so much so that he wants to hurt him. He wants to destroy his his throne and take his throne. So I'm I'm saying all this because I'm laying a little bit of a foundation Absalom comes to the king's gate. He wins the people over. You know how he wins people over? He didn't run campaign ads. He didn't put anything on television or the radio, no newspaper articles. He met the people where they were. He met them at the gate. He dealt with all their problems. He ministered to their needs. And the people fell in love with Absalom. So much so that he was able to build a rebellion from within the kingdom that David governed. Now, there is a person that is part of this uh, rebellion. His name's Amasa. He actually becomes what Joab is to David, this is what Amasa is to Absalom. He's his leader. And they go through this rebellion, and eventually they force David out of Jerusalem. Again, David doesn't fight. David doesn't take a stand for what the Lord has given him. God gave him the city of Jerusalem, God made him king. But David just runs away because he cannot face Absalom. There comes a day, friend, me and you, both of us, either as individuals or corporately, have to face our enemy and not run away. We have to gird up our loins, put on the truth, and stand even if we were an heir and created our own problem. We have to face it. But that's where David's falling apart. David takes a group of men and they, they flee Jerusalem and Absalom comes in and he he wants to hurt his father so bad that he receives counsel by Zernophil. I really pronounced that one really bad. You'll never even be able to find it in the concordance the way I pronounced it. Who is his counselor and says, you know what you can do to hurt your dad? Embarrass him in front of Everyone, Take his wives, great husband. <laughs> Another thing about David, bothers me. His ten wives, concubines, he didn't take them with him. He left them back in the palace to clean the house. Make sure you keep it all nice and clean. Knowing that Absalom was going to take over, he left people that were his family or his wives behind. Well, you know what you know what Absalom does. He says, "I'm going to take what's valuable to him that he has left unguarded. He left them unguarded, and I'm going to take all ten of them. and We're going to put a tent on top of the palace, and in sight of all Israel, I'm going to show them how I feel about my father." Now, Absalom is almost denoting the characters of Satan. He wants to hurt us in any way he can, especially publicly, through humiliation. But David still doesn't respond. Even with his wives being humbled and compromised, he's still hiding. And because he bears such guilt, because of his lack of duty to his son he tells Joab and those that are with him, when we have to face him, don't hurt the boy. Do you know how many people died in that battle? Do you know how many innocent soldiers died because David wouldn't stand up? 20,000 men lost their lives because he could not exert his leadership because he had let himself fall into the, the feelings of guilt because he was a bad father, that he hadn't done this, and all of a sudden his judgments were no longer good. But Joab, his nephew, is still faithful to David. So we know the story when David, uh, when Absalom's fleeing from Joab, his hair gets caught in a tree. And he's dangling there, and Joab realizes the only way to stop this rebellion and to stop the loss of life is to do something that David should have done. And he slew Absalom. And later on, he slew Amasa, and I'm not going to get into that long story, which was the leader of of Absalom's army. But that's, this is very interesting. I have to go back at least a little bit to this. He was furious with Absalom, with Joab for killing Absalom. Just furious. How could you kill that man? You know, it's my son. Well, 20,000 dead bodies out here is a good start. Your 10 wives defile, that's another good start. Um, but he says, you know what? We're going to make Amasa the leader of my army. He takes the leader of Absalom's army, Amasa, and he fires Joab. The one good thing he's got going for him and he puts a rebel who was going to kill his own, was killing his own men in charge. Oh, can you imagine how Joab felt? Here, I'm trying to do my best to help you. I've been giving you counsel. Hey, David, don't you remember the time that I counseled you not to number the people of Israel? Do you remember that? When Satan tempted you and you were listening to his temptation because you were listening more to his voice than God's voice at that time and you decided to disobey God, do you remember that 70,000 people died because you wouldn't listen to my counsel? Now we're talking about 90,000 people have died because you just won't seek good counsel. And so David puts Amasa there. Well, guess what? There's another rebellion. And David tells Amasa, I want you to go and gather the people together because in this rebellion we're going to fight because they're, they're raising the enemies of, of King David. They're rebuilding uh, an army. So Amasa goes out and because of his reputation, because of all the things he's done, it's very difficult for him to build an army to fight against, to fight with David against this army of, that's being brought again from those that followed Absalom. And this is where Joab intercedes again. Joab went out to meet Amasa, and he finally got a group together, and he killed him. He killed him. He ran a knife right into his stomach and he killed him because Amasa was no good either. He he had no respect. He had no leadership and he was David's enemy and had fought to kill him himself. Amasa, his intent was to kill David, to kill Joab, to kill all those people, but David takes his enemy and makes him a place of authority. So Joab steps in and corrects another thing. So that leads me to this point. Now it's getting near the end of his life. The Bible says that David is roughly 70 years old. And he's, he's cold and feeble. And you know, I read that, my brother. <sighs> really? Really? I was reading some of the reviews or statements about him being 70, and they said, really? At 70 years old, he was old and feeble and couldn't do anything? And I'm saying, I don't I don't know if I feel good about that or not. I'm only two years away from that. Matter of fact, the only good thing that it got out of it is they hired people to sleep with him at night because he was cold all the time. And by the way, that's the reason that I exist in my household. I wanted to see a lab. I do cook, too. That's the other reason. No, I do. I don't mean to make fun of my wife. I love her with all my heart. We're shooting. Can I just take a side trip? My wife is sleeping right now because she works tonight, so she won't probably see this. Do you know what she's planning? She's writing the invitation out. She spent the whole day writing an invitation out for our wedding anniversary, our 50th. I said, honey, that's eight years away. I don't even know if I'm going to be there. That's what you call organization. That's organization. But I I want to go on. Joab said this to David after Absalom was killed. He said, David, you're so unwise. You love your enemies more than you love the people of God. You love your enemies more than you love the people of God. And people lose respect for you because of that. And then David, now he's old, he's really old, he's 70 years old. He and you may not know this either. There was another son. Oh, I'm not going to be able to think of his name. That was in line for his kingdom. Now, Solomon was not the oldest son of David at that point. There was another son that was the oldest. A matter of fact, if you go back and read that, he, he started to take authority as David near death to set up his own kingdom. But... Bathsheba convinced David to put Solomon in place. And David hearkened unto Bathsheba, and of course God had his hand in all these things too. He said Solomon will be the one that builds the temple and stuff on and stuff on and so forth. But David does something that I find happens to people when they get older. Now, I have been a minister for 40 years, a pastor for 40 years not counting the two years that I was a local licensed. And the one thing I've noticed, and I never want to have happen to me, is sometimes when people get older, I don't know whether they're getting senile or what, they have trouble getting over things. Maybe it's because they have too much time to think. They go back, and all of a sudden, David started started to eat on him how Joab had killed Ammon no Joab had killed uh, Absalom and the other the leader of Massa and he told Solomon this is what I want you to do and this is this is the king who the Lord is going to take his his throne and build his throne on and I'm saying this because I'm being honest with you. I have, a, I have questions when I read scripture and I say, Lord, I want to understand that. I want, you're going to build your, throne on the king, on the, your kingdom on the throne of David? What does that mean? I, I, when I look at David, I don't see a very good throne. And so I'm saying, I want to understand that. I, I want you to somehow show it to me. But he says to Solomon, I want you to kill some people for me. I want you to kill the man that I, when I was leaving Jerusalem threw rocks at me and cursed me. I want you to kill him. He did evil to me. Kill him. And then I want you to kill Joab for taking Absalom's life and Abner's life and Amas's life. My enemies. Do you know how Joab, the faithful Joab, died? he ran to the house of God and pleaded for his life by the altar of God and they slew him there. The mercy that had been shown to David certainly wasn't exhibited at the end of David's life because David could never get over his own failures which affected his view of other people as well. So, to sort of wrap this up, what are you saying, Brother Kylie? We, as people of God, need to make things right when they're wrong. I think my brother Rick will agree with me, and I'm just being open. You know, this is is like a breakout tonight. We're just talking, okay? My dad, I can never really remember Dad before he was saved saying he, he loved me. He never did. I can't remember a time that because that's the way people were. It was masculinity. I didn't say your love you, I love you because he just you know how you you showed your love, you know how he showed his love. He wrestled with us on the floor, he played with us, he took us hunting. He showed his love through his actions. So a while back, I had something happen to me. And it's, I realized that I have the same characteristic that my dad does. That it's hard for me to tell people that I love them. It's easy for me to show them that I love them by doing things. If you want to know that I love you, if I tease you, you're in. You're in. You know what I mean. I've said some things and I've said, why did I say that, Steve? Because people that I love, I tease. That's my, my love language. So I had a conversation with my son. and I don't think he'd mind me saying this, but he came up to me and he says, Dad, i got to ask you a question. Have I did anything to hurt you? You don't really tell me that you love me all that much. Wow. I stopped. Oh, I said, Jason, that's the farthest thing from the truth. I love you with my whole heart. And I realized that some people need to receive that commendation in their own way. In other words, they, he needed to hear it verbally. But to me, it was completely against my nature to do that. I could, You know, it's, a guy never told another guy he loved him, and a, a guy never kissed another guy. That would, it was just the way it was. And I realized to myself, I said, I told him, Jason, I am so sorry. I love you with my whole heart. If I've ever not told you that, I want to tell you. I'm going to try to say it over and over again. But you know what's so? Hard? Why is it hard? Why is it hard for us to do something like that? Because we have inherited certain traits that have been passed on by our parents that go into our generation. And eventually, those traits will be weeded out as generation goes to generation. So, but we have to learn to do what's right, even though it's uncomfortable for us to do, whether it's discipline or affection. And so, tonight, oh, I got to go back to this last point, the throne of David. So I said, Lord, what does the throne of David mean? The throne of J- David is not a man. It's a kingdom. It's not made up of one individual. It's made up of a Jewish nation. So when the Lord says, I will build my throne upon the throne of David, that was a kingdom that was together. It was an, a Jewish kingdom called Israel It wasn't a split kingdom called Judah in Israel, but a united kingdom of Israel. And when the Bible prophesied how uh, the nation of Israel would be dispersed among all nations and it would cease to exist, what Jesus was saying, I will be the king of a united nation, a united nation that was built on the very foundation of a man called David, and I will reign on that throne forever and ever. Not on whether David was good or he did things bad. It's about the principle of authority that was established through God's people. So just because I'm a minister doesn't make me any different than anybody else. The principle is such that I've been given a responsibility just like you've been given a responsibility, and my responsibility might be different than your responsibility. But nonetheless, we're all held accountable to the responsibility that has been placed in our hands. And if you don't know what yours is, I pray that you find it out, because God's going to hold you accountable for it sometime in the future. But the one thing that we can all do that will please God, and it's our main focus on being here on earth, is to love one another. and sometimes that means doing something you're not comfortable with sometimes it means admitting you're wrong and making the wrong right he he could have solved david could have solved all of his problems if he would have just got the horse out of the stable and rode over to absalom's house and said absalom i was wrong i should have i should have corrected the problem please forgive me And 20,000 people would have never had to die. But David felt uncomfortable doing that because he himself came from a broken home. Oh, you didn't know that, did you? Do you know why David was in the field minding the sheep and why they didn't call him up when Samuel came? Because he was the outcast. There were family problems there. And I I encourage you to go back and read about David and his heritage in the home of Jesse. They didn't even consider him hardly part of the family. That's why the brother, when he brought, brought the cheese and the things during the battle with Goliath, they ridiculed him. Oh, what are you doing here? So he came from a home that was dysfunctional and his home was dysfunctional but we can change dysfunction into function by following what god tells us to do so let's stand together i think that's a good place to sort of wind it up <laughs> you know i i'm beginning to enjoy not working quote unquote quote unquote because me and God have some really great conversations. And sometimes we need to search out those questions that we have. And I need to realize that I'm, uh, my weaknesses are only against me if I don't correct them. And that if David can be the friend of God, I can be too. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd have your hand upon each and every one of us, that something that was said tonight it would find a place in our hearts that help us to make us better Christians, more sensitive to what you would have us do in the role that you've called us to fill. I pray that we could bless you, Lord, as you have blessed us. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast.